Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is the CQN Congress Coronavirus Special Report. We are bringing you daily updates on the policy news you need to know using the reporting prowess of CQ Roll Call. Today is Tuesday, April 28th, 2020. The churn of news about the global pandemic shows no sign of easing. The United States, for instance, reached the dubious milestone of having more than 1 million confirmed cases. That is roughly one-third of the world's total. Congress has passed four aid packages that spend trillions of dollars to address the pandemic, but there is confusion and consternation over who should benefit from popular aspects of the packages, like the Paycheck Protection Program. Some publicly traded companies have received funds, for instance. The Small Business Administration, which manages the program, says they should hand that money back. There's also concern that among the hundreds of billions of dollars that actually were targeted for large companies, there were no requirements attached, such as limiting the pay of top executives. Tonight, we begin with CQ Budget's Jen Shutt, who's going to tell us about another potential round of payments and the debate and where it all stands. As Congress looks to the next aid package, which would be the fifth aid package to address COVID-19 and the economic fallout that is taking place as businesses throughout the country remain closed, there is discussion about whether or not lawmakers should approve another round of direct payments to Americans in that package that is forming. Um, and that negotiations are in the very early stages of. We heard from White House economic advisor Kevin Hassett earlier today that that's something that the White House is studying very carefully, according to him, and that he knows that people in the House are looking at it as well. This is one of these things that relates to pretty much everyone in the $2 trillion aid package that Congress approved in late March, a little over a month ago. They included direct payments in there. Um, There were about $1,200 for people making less than $75,000 in an adjusted gross income. And then couples received $2,400 if they made less than $150,000 in adjusted gross income. And then people also were able to receive $500 per child in addition to that. Um, And those payments are still being made. The Treasury Department and the Internal Revenue Service are still working on getting all of those payments out right now. And they think they've done a little more than half of them based on a few different estimates of that. And so as Treasury continues to make those individual direct payments to Americans, lawmakers are starting to try to figure out if that's enough to help people um, in addition to all of the other ways that Congress has been trying to help people and businesses and healthcare workers throughout this. And so right now, the Trump administration is trying to determine whether or not they'll actually support that, which is obviously a pretty big factor in whether or not those could go forward. And we expect that during these negotiations, Democrats in the House and Senate will be pushing for that, but we don't yet know how much Democrats want in a potential second payment to Americans. And so all of those things are really up in the air right now, um, but they will be a big, um, big part of these negotiations going forward. Next week, the Senate will reconvene here in Washington. The House was scheduled to do so, but quickly pivoted and said they would not under the advice of the Office of the Attending Physician. To tell us more about this, we go to senior staff writer, Lindsay McPherson. 
today the news out of Denny Hoyer's press conference with reporters um, was that the House is no longer going to return to the Capitol next week. He had announced a day earlier um, on a conference call with House Democrats that he was going to bring the House back on May 4th, following a similar announcement from the Senate leader, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, that the Senate would return that day. Um, But Hoyer is changing the plans and no longer planning to bring the House back next week. He said he, after his call with Democrats, he talked to the Capitol physician, Brian Monahan, who had recommended that it would be too risky um, and that he recommended against bringing members back at this time, but in part because the numbers in D.C. of positive coronavirus cases have increased. Um, nearly 30% over the past week and some other areas in Maryland, Prince George's and Montgomery counties have become hotspots as well. So there was concern about bringing members back to this region and not only bringing them back, but bringing them back for what was supposed to be a longer period of time. The House has come back twice over the past six weeks that they've been in recess to vote on coronavirus relief legislation, but they've done that um, where they've come in just for one day and then gone back home. And so um, the capital physician said that that is less risky to come back for a shorter period of time and take votes as needed than to have members come back for several days or several weeks at a time and stay here in D.C. while the region is still seeing an increased number of coronavirus cases. Another reason Hoyer decided to delay the return was that the next bill that they're looking to pass, which the leaders are calling CARES to after the big $2 trillion package that they passed last month, which was CARES 1, that the next CARES 2 bill is not ready for passage yet and that they don't expect that it would be ready next week. So they feel that bringing members back when the bill is not ready to pass um, was unnecessary given the risks cited by the Capitol physician. What's interesting about this is that the Capitol physician also advises the Senate, but Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has not changed his position and is still planning to bring the Senate back next week. There are obviously fewer senators, only 100 compared to there are currently 430 members of the House. There are a few vacancies. So it's a lot risky to gather 430 members and their staff, some of them who would have to be physically present to help with House functions, committee meetings and votes than it is for 100 senators, but there still are risks involved. Each senator um, will kind of decide how they want to run staffing of their offices when they come back, whether they want their member, their staff to continue working at home or for some of them to come staff them physically in the Capitol and the office buildings. So there are some challenges that will occur too in terms of voting. The last time the Senate voted was on that uh, big $2 trillion economic relief package that they call CARES 1. And they did have a longer vote series to allow senders to spend less time on the floor it's presumed, but, you know, McConnell hasn't announced specifics that if they were to hold votes this week, that votes would similarly be held open longer to accommodate the safety of members. Um, and the Capitol physician had recommended House members wear masks and they do clean their chamber more often between votes. And so they did that last week when the House came in. So the Senate could do similar things as well to take precautions to keep the members safe while they're up here. The House is going to come back when the CARES 2 bill is ready to vote on, um, and the Senate will be in in the interim. McConnell said he's looking to confirm some nominations as well as to beat liability protections for employers as they begin to reopen in parts of the 
country where states are lifting stay-at-home orders. So that's what's ahead um, as the House and Senate proceed on two different paths of coming back to D.C. And finally, the doctor is in and on Zoom. Senior staff writer Gopal Ratnam has more on how technology is influencing health policy. I've been reporting on a story about how widespread the use of telehealth and telemedicine has become in the last few weeks as the pandemic has spread across the country. Uh, The telemedicine telehealth refers to uh, doctors being able to consult with patients on uh, video, on the phone, or other secure platforms that are tailor-made for telehealth and telemedicine. Um, This expansion of uh, telehealth, telemedicine has become possible because uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, uh, which is called CMS, has lifted the restrictions on the use of uh, telehealth by doctors and um, hospitals um, because a lot of patients are, um, you know, naturally worried and afraid to go into a doctor's office for routine uh, visits that don't require a face-to-face interaction. The relaxation of these rules also has helped in a significant way. For example, I heard from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center that they have intensive care specialists who are now able to consult with uh, physicians and doctors and patients who are in the hospital and on ventilators in New York City. We're talking about doctors about 350 miles away in Pittsburgh being able to consult and assist physicians in New York City. That kind of flexibility wouldn't have happened in the past because of the restrictions that uh, the Medicare um, agency imposed on uh, how all of that uh, can function. But now doctors and hospitals and healthcare advocates are all saying that these relaxed rules and the waivers granted by the Centers for Medicare needs to become more or less permanent even after the crisis has ended. Um, and as one uh, physician said on a conference call recently, that patients who got used to the convenience of a telehealth consultation um, are unlikely to want to go back to a face-to-face uh, meeting with doctors for routine purposes that don't require such interaction. Um, and the numbers have been phenomenal in terms of how much uh, telehealth and telemedicine has taken off in just the last few weeks. Um, I have some statistics provided to me by the American Telemedicine Association. Um, that they said that a cancer center in Tampa, Florida, has seen a 5,000% increase in virtual visits in just the last few weeks. And the University of uh, Pittsburgh Medical Center said that their uh, telehealth visits have gone up a 35-fold increase in just the last 30 days. So um, uh, there seems to be an increasing call on members of Congress to make some of these changes permanent. Senator Brian Schatz of Hawaii, uh, who has already had a bill that has bipartisan support from both Democrats and Republicans to expand the use of telehealth. His aides told me that he's interested in seeing that bill uh, push forward. Um, and his Republican colleague, um, Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith of Mississippi, um, also is pushing to expand the use of such uh, telehealth services even after this crisis ends. So we may see Congress acting to make some of these changes permanent and more Americans are more likely to be using telehealth services as a routine part of their health care even after this crisis ends. 
That's it for April 28th for the CQ Roll Call Newsroom. I'm Jason Dick. <laughs>